0: From Uniforms to Unicorns is sponsored by Brand 47 Coffee, which was founded by Holly and Alex, both first responders looking to create a sustainable business to pass on to their two sons with Down syndrome, Jax and Nico. Thinking about the future has always been in the forefront of their heads for their boys, creating meaningful employment and independence as adults. The only way to do that was to create it. Brand 47 Coffee Co. provides the most unique and fun-flavored coffee. Seriously, it is so good. Our Mine and Sharon's favorite is the Coco Loco. It's coconut-infused. It is to die for. All of their coffee is small batch and roasted to order. They are incredible people doing incredible things. Their vision is to keep the world caffeinated, to stay special, and be extra. You can find them at brand47coffee.com. Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career.
1: Lauren and I have always had a significant bond. Friends, moms, and business owners that happened to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you I thought of you
0: We know there's huge curiosity surrounding these topics. And we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared, and we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're From uniforms to unicorns. Hey, Lauren here. Just wanted to remind you that some of the things that Sharon and I and our guests talk about on this podcast can have adverse effects or bring on triggers for experiences that you have had in the past. So we just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning before you listen to any of the podcast episodes and say, take care of yourself. And thank you again for being here and listening. Hi, Sharon.
1: Hi, Lauren. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good.
0: Happy Thanksgiving,
1: I guess. Yeah, that's what I was (laughs) gonna say. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you hope it was all good for you. Yeah, we had a wicked weekend and you guys? Yeah, all good. Good. It was nice and peaceful. It was quiet, but it was good.
0: And the weather's have been amazing. I
1: know. That's Uh, been
0: so nice. So nice. Get outside, do some walks, check some things out. Yeah, Yeah. you go. Awesome. Okay, well, we're, we're not here to talk about mine insurance life, so we're here to
1: talk about
0: <laughs> <laughs> We are here to talk to our guest today that she came highly recommended from uh, a friend of ours, A first responder friend who has, uh, We P.S. we love it when you come into our DMs in Instagram and say (laughs) you have to connect with this person because every time we have connected with someone that you guys have recommended it is um, it's always been amazing and we've already been able to talk with this guest for a couple minutes so I know that we are going to uh, have an amazing episode for you today. Uh, Today we have Wendy Lund and she is from Wealth management and she has a background working with first responders that uh, as she started talking i was like oh my god i had no idea that you had all of these things so uh welcome wendy thank you so much for being here with us tell us a little bit about yourself
2: oh thank you i'm really excited to share a little bit of my wealth uh, so, uh, born and raised in Calgary, if that matters to the Albertans, because Albertans hate Ontario. Uh, <laughs> so, I just want to preface that. I do live in Toronto <laughs> now, but I was born in Calgary. I'm a registered nurse by trade. My uh, clinical background was really ICU and acute medicine, but got hired very young at the age of 23 as a faculty member at Centennial College in Toronto. And so, for 32 years, I was a full-time faculty member teaching the sciences for about 14 years to nursing And then I got moved to the paramedic program. To be honest, I can't remember how, but for the final 22 years, I was exclusively attached to teaching the sciences, the only science lead. So anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology to a two-year and four-year paramedic program in Toronto. In my time, so two kind of things happened um, along the way, nurse by trade, continued to work teaching the sciences, got introduced to paramedics, but personally was going through lots of struggles around Typical midlife stuff, but was on the cusp of ending a marriage of 23 years, was introduced to an MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And it really sort of stabilized me in sort of how I was feeling, which was, you know, trying to end a marriage of 23 years with three children, cussing on university, not knowing if I was going to be living on the streets. I found this practice and I was like, wow, that that's interesting. Why don't I see this stuff in my anatomy and physiology books? Like, I started attending conferences and reading and getting sciency about it and then wanted to bring it into the paramedic program because I kept asking the faculty, which by the way, were predominantly male, you know, and from a paramilitary culture raised. And I'd be like, when are we teaching them how to pick up, you know, like dead babies? Like when does that happen in the program? And they're like, as you well know, what I heard was they know what they're getting into,
0: right? Yeah, you so signed up right. for this.
2: Yeah, you yes. signed up for it. You know what you're getting into. And I'm like, do they really know? Because I just went back to like when I somebody gave me a baby after I, you know, had nine months of gestation. I'm like, did I really know what I was oh, getting? Oh, did you? Already-
0: you
2: know <laughs> no you don't you think you know I'm so you know three weeks in I was like is somebody gonna pick this creature up and give me a break and like oh my god they're here 24 7 for the rest of my life
0: um, and we literally just talked about that before we even started yeah. recording how you know your life as a mother never, never, never it ends. ever never ends
2: yeah Yeah. And so the students, you know, it's a demanding program, right? And because I was a science teacher, I was the course that they often failed. And so I ended up counseling many students and because I was the only female, I think I was seen, and many students will refer to me as the mother of paramedicine, not because I am, but again, that quintessential sort of compassion figure. And they didn't feel as threatened because I didn't have the direct connection to their field placement and their job hire. So there was a safer space for them to come to me. So they would come to me with all the problems. And I saw that. And so when I would say to the faculty, like I'm doing this mindfulness stuff, like it's really working. I worked with Dr. Walter devaris who's a PhD prepared one of the first paramedics, like he is so brilliant. And he challenged me and many times, not happily that I want to be on the end of that challenge, but he'd be like, don't the research. Where's the evidence? Cause I was just anecdotally going, this is really great. We should be bringing this into the program. And, uh, he'd be like, yeah, don't call it mindfulness, call it uh, the mental gym. And I'm like, right? well, I don't know, <laughs> like do we have to masculinize everything? And by the way, you know our demographics has changed. We can't right. just keep being paramilitary in a culture now that is you know maybe 40 to 45 percent women and bipoc. like we're not speaking to them when all we talk about is suck it up and paramilitary culture and being a warrior. I mean women don't identify mm-hmm. with those generally speaking anyway right mm-hmm. And so I resisted. I'm like, uh, mindfulness, I'm just gonna call it that anyway he, Pushed me so much that I ended up doing a Master's of Science in Mindfulness Studies through the University of Aberdeen, where I spent four years. And that might sound really smart, and I'm—it's got—it's a rare degree, not because yeah. I'm brilliant, but because it was new. And so I'm one of the first. Well, I think you're age. probably
0: brilliant. Like I, uh, I <laughs> would say you're brilliant too. I don't know. It was you know really what? Hard. Even even connecting those two pieces together, right, mm-hmm. and saying like. Hey, I'm learning this. I'm going to try it here. Okay. Well show me the research. Most of people would say, fuck that. Right. I don't have time for that. Right. Like you're like, okay, I'll show you. Right. Like I love, I love that. I'll show you. I'll go do this for four years, uh, which is awesome.
2: Right. I think I am, you know, I don't know if this is a female thing, but I, there's one phrase I, you know, I will strive for competitively, which is you were right. So I will do anything to like capture that right overachiever probably a little yeah
0: yeah I hear you I
2: hear you so and to be clear listen I have the academic chops to talk about this and but I rarely talk about my personal life but I have some stuff there that I don't share not the people who know and love me know about it right but I, I I value privacy for me it's the thing and because I think my lessons are what most people really need to hear that don't get heard enough so I, while I have this you know, really professional CV that looks impressive, I have some significant suffering and trauma in my own life that you know, I've had to work through that really also pushed me and invigorated me to getting this master's. So I did this four year degree, I, my thesis investigated the experience of trauma and first responders, but what I was really trying to do was really prove the case to why we need to embed proactive strategies in base training. Like, why aren't we attending? And we are no longer in the dark about the risk this job does for mental well being. And if we understand what to do when people get PTSD, and when you read all about the therapy, you know, most of psychotherapy um, is mindfulness based stuff. It's coming back to the present moment, it's examining your thoughts. How you're engaging with yourself, with other people, with the stressor. How do you soften that? How do you practice gratitude? How do you look around for what was good instead of focusing on what just is bad? Yeah. And I'm like, yes. do that. We could do that before, right? Like you can't teach somebody downstream who's drowning how to now swim.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Right?
2: So I'm all about an upstream proactive, which is not to say don't stop the you know, the therapy. But for every hour we spend on therapy, we should be spending two hours on teaching how to cultivate well-being while you're engaging trauma and tragedy and human suffering as a job. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. Because so that's
2: that's who I am,
0: and and that's it. That's mm-hmm. so interesting because there's so there's actually I know of a few programs that are currently working on this model, but like we're in 2022 mm-hmm. and we're just starting to do which some of these things are through the federal government so they'll be rolled out in 2033 when we've had so many people that have already like right so it's like what, what is, why is this taking so long because like you said it's that para military background that just says you know what you signed up for if you can't mm-hmm. handle it get out of here but we mm-hmm. that's not how these places work right we're we're unionized we're this we're that and and we're allowing actually the people that actually think they have it together, which probably don't all have it all together, take the slack,
2: right? Yep. When
0: when it, everything does fall down because we mm-hmm. are seeing so many people come forward now and saying like, I'm struggling, right? I'm struggling and I don't know what to do about it. And now we have all this, we have backed up. Like I have people m- messaging me saying, uh, I can't get into a psychologist for three months.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm working to, on a
2: course to... right now called While You Wait. And I'm gonna yeah. try to find I'm gonna put a shout out because I, I did a lot of work with the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support and their psychologist, I adore, uh, Christy McGinnis. And I'm like, look, what if I develop a course like with some of the stuff and you can approve it, you know? but while people are waiting, I could be coaching and offering content to stabilize them. right? But you know, and the other thing is I say to every psychotherapist, here's another thing, because we have to talk about cultural shifts, big ones. Mm-hmm. I keep saying to people because they, a a first responder, you know, this will not pay for anything if it's not paid for by the service. So we need to change because. And then
0: finding how to get it paid for without anybody knowing it's paid for. So you don't look like you're weak. is the other
2: barrier. (laughs) But I (laughs) want to say to a first responder, is anybody paying for your gym membership? Right. Like you, there's at some level you need to take accountability for Yes, you signed up for it, but no, that doesn't mean you get it all, but. If you're signing up for a job that's difficult, then what are you doing to cause your well-being that mm-hmm. That is not tied to an organizational or HR decision because money and resources are short. So you better do something else. Yeah. Uh, waiting for someone to come save you in this culture post pandemic is the worst strategy or this on every call, like I'm crossing my fingers. Like if that's your best strategy that I hope this day doesn't take me out, that's also no good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to your point about you knew what you were getting into or get out, even if the culture would pay attention to get out, we need more off ramps. Yes. There are no good off ramps out of this job. If you'd go to WSIB or if you're on psychological injury, talk to anybody navigating that system. It's horrible.
0: It's, it's the worst. And it's they the say worst. that's contributing. That's the contributing factor is these people calling me at 4:30 on friday night cuz i'm their last fucking priority and they just have to get this call in and i'm so frustrated by the like yeah it contributes and the it's the system like
2: you're is not back- technically out to help you it is no, out to no. get you
1: back like even the front line. like even when lauren you and i were were leaving for me personally it was like something was off but it was like i'm going to transfer and we sort of heard that in some of the other something's off so I'm going to just have a change of scenery and then I'm going to be okay but it's like no that's coming with you your Mm -hmm. backpack is coming with you but there are like and then when I I needed to leave there was no support with that everyone was just like what are you doing like it's a government job your pension you're this you're that or we got a lot of that you signed up for it what were you expecting a cakewalk and all that stuff right and it's like "Hmm, that's not true and this mindfulness piece if that was taught to us along with our handcuffing or straight arm bar takedowns like it would have been like you said we wouldn't have been drowning at the end where you're like i forgot to breathe like that that's a lot of it right you're holding your breath in and you never release that breath until you're retired retired
0: and years after that like I feel like my shoulders didn't come down Mm
2: -hmm. till
0: till like years later
2: yeah and and why anyway that and can I also say you know collaboration is the key. So of course, I think mindfulness is a piece. I don't think I'm the be all end all. I don't think my program, which by the way is called Reach for Resiliency, which I've done in Alberta, uh, it's 16 hours and it's completely proactive. It's heavy on the science, low on the hippy dippy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it's four modules. The first four hours is on getting grounded. The second is on gratitude and generosity. The third is on compassion and self-compassion. And the fourth four hours is on Viktor Frankl's work on local therapy, like why meaning matters, how to make sense of it. I nonsense. love
0: Viktor Frankl. I love yeah, that.
2: so the whole program is that, and then service leaders will say 16 hours, like Wendy, can, can you do it in two? Like, uh, yeah. and can you do it for free? And that, to the point I'm like, you know what? I used to do a lot of stuff for free, but I, I'm part of the problem, which says mental health, like peer support teams should all be voluntary and off the backs of people just donating their time and energy. Right. That, that has to stop because that leads you into a place of struggle. Right. But you don't take your truck into the mechanic and go, we're a first responder. Do you mind fixing this for free? Right. There's a, there's a budget line in every service that says, we understand that in order to keep our hardware and our capital up to date, we have to spend this much per year. Mm -hmm. I want to see a line for human capital, not the reactive shit. Yeah. The proactive yeah. stuff. I'm, yeah. What I'm are all. you doing to train yeah. that? And then they'll say to me, but Wendy, you can't make people practice mindfulness to which I say, I don't care if they take my shit on, right. but we have a duty and a responsibility ethically and morally to teach them. They, they didn't pay attention to everything I taught in physiology. Half of them don't remember anything I taught them. It right. didn't matter to that. So why do we say that other than re-stigmatizing mental being? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's yep. It's like, not- It doesn't matter if they don't take on what I say, they need to sit and hear it. And maybe 10 years from now, when they don't think they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, they'll be like, oh, maybe I'll do that thing. What was that lady, that crazy lady that taught me that thing? All we're doing
0: doing is planting seeds, right? And we don't know which ones are gonna grow, but I think that it is so important to plant them and and we like I do lots of like workshop and teaching and some people walk away and say I learned nothing in that and I'm like let me know in six months mm-hmm. because what you need to hear right now might not be what you heard right like and six months from now you're gonna be like right yeah. like, <laughs> like I might maybe it's maybe it's like six months down the road I start struggling with sleep well yeah mm-hmm. what did that lady say about you know like pull some tools out of the toolbox here. You yeah. know? But if you yeah. don't have any, you have nothing to pull from.
2: Yeah. Oh, but we don't, we don't approach our skills in the job with ego. Like, well, right. I hope, I hope they understood how to manage this airway. And right. Like, it's like, look, they're going to manage that airway. They're going to pay attention because they're going to have to one day. Right? right. And so we have to, if they knew the risk, the other thing we have to do is start changing the brochure on these jobs. You know, we trained for two to four years in our program for 5% of the call volume. And what I heard in my thesis over and over and over again from a first responder, unprompted for me, my research question was, tell me your worst call. And then we talked about it. So they would tell me, and then they, almost every one of them said, but you know what really pisses me off? I'm like, oh, what? Tell me. They're like the bullshit call. I'm like, oh. I even had it in my dissertation, like the bullshit call. I'm like, tell me. They're like, when I show up and it's a bullshit call, and they didn't need me. They are wasting my time. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I wonder why we don't teach them that they're 95 of the actual calls they're going to see are the bullshit call. And what bullshit. if we taught you? If what if we taught you how to recognize loneliness and isolation? Yes, not yes. as bu- bullshit, but a spiritual crisis. And then what if we taught you how to engage compassionately? And now you can walk into this bullshit call with woof, I ain't going to get PTSD on this one. In fact, I'm going to just enjoy connecting with this person. Like, hey, frequent flyer, what can we do to change this system up? Like, I see you every week. What's up? How Mm. can we change this and make it better for you? I, I yeah. feel like we're
0: very lucky because uh, my, my husband's a police officer. So I was, a, my husband's a police officer and we're very like, it's quite a small community, right? So he's lucky enough to get to do those things, but in like, in, cause he does, he has the frequent flyers and my husband always says, I'll go to the bullshit calls all day long. Right. Yeah. I would much rather go to one of those than to like, whatever, a robbery or whatever is happening um and he said like you, you get to you build that rapport and sharon and i know this too right we built the reports like when we go to the cell they're slashing they're going to slash up their wrists we're like all right what's going on we know all these people we can build this rapport sure we hated them but i mean we would have taken those any day over a, a like a fight smash
1: up or yeah, a fight, right a fight like, or a hostage taking or whatever <laughs> that may be right yeah.
2: Now yeah. you want that when you first start out, right? There's a hundred. Oh yeah. You want that. Oh yeah. But give it to me. Give it to me. Yeah, a let's after go. I'm ready. I'm ready. But, I'm ready. But we can even teach them that like, here are the, here's your response and engagement and what it feels like psychologically, but here's what happens year three. You start to realize this job isn't what I was sold and B now that I have muscle memory on the call and I've been to enough. Now I'm actually seeing shit. I didn't see the first year because I was so busy trying to get my protocols down but I didn't see the suffering at the level. I didn't see what was going on in this community or this family. And now this is landing on me differently. And now I have a mortgage and kids and I'm stressed and I'm tired and I've shift work disorder that's undiagnosed. And now this is different. So it, it for me, education promotes regulation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not people say, How do I know that your program, Wendy? Where's the evidence? to which I say, you're asking the wrong question. An right. education program is not a therapeutic intervention for PTSD. So don't ask me how many people I'm gonna save because it's base education. You Why not ask the psychologist that you're referring to, where's their data? That what they're doing is actually right. shifting because psychologists don't even collect their own data, which is curious that I have to present so much for an educational program Yet the people that are doing the work, just because they have the word doctor in front of their name, seem to escape any demands for how do we know you're a good psychologist for first right. responders?
1: Yeah. Where's
2: where's your like where's your sheet that says this is how many wins I've gotten, how many losses? Right. They just assume because nobody came to them anymore that they fixed them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I'm giving education. I don't, I don't have the bur- I don't bear the burden of proof. Uh, to fix PTSD. That's not what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, and, you know, compassion, we don't teach, we just assume that you came into this job because you want to help people. So we're like, good, check. They want to help people. Good, done. But the research is clear. People are less compassionate as each generation goes on and and our technology is going to make that even worse. And the pandemic on top of the technology- Is going to who knows what compassion is going to look like five years from now when people are l- literally graduating in programs that have done it virtually as a first responder mm-hmm. and I said why why wasn't there a study started last year on the cohort that just finished the very first program in the history that did this program virtually except for write-outs I, and they're like did they, I'm like did they go to enough calls they're like well they couldn't because of COVID's So we're graduating people that actually aren't getting the, that's a little nerve wracking for the public mm -hmm. And, and for the student and 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 the thing is too
0: why why are we pushing these through because people are leaving these jobs at an yes. alarming rate because that's they are why. not supported so we're and like that's
2: the vicious circle that
0: is the vicious mm-hmm. circle of the like like we got to push these people through because we got to we got to show we that we have people. enough ambulances yeah. because we got people on the news saying their grandmother waited for 33 minutes and maybe she right and 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 so it's this massive big political uh media right that's causing this well we got to push all these people out and they're not they're not ready to and equipped to deal with a lot of the things like you said so now now these people fall to the system again and now we're pushing even more people we really have 17 virtual classes the ride-alongs are cut down to three so that we can make sure we have right like we're we're really not doing anybody our community our 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 workers like our organizations any sort of service if
2: we're doing the things like you said right so yeah. the cost of doing nothing is monumental and I don't just mean financially for services but what it does to destroy the lives of the first responder and their loved ones because they don't live in isolation exactly and so when you take out a first responder you you take out the family which impacts the community so there's a ripple effect and if we understood what the social determinants of health were better as a first responder, those who become leaders will then be more understanding of what it means. So in my thesis, I, I, I talk a lot about this model called the psychogenic model. So in Canada, every workshop I go to, do we have a healthcare system? And I ask for a show of hands and everybody puts their hand up. And I'm like, no, we don't. We have a disease care system. Mm-hmm. But because yeah. we call it a healthcare system, we have unconsciously come to believe that, and first responders are the worst, that you are well until you are not. So you don't have PTSD until you do, which means you have good health. Nobody's told me I have PTSD, therefore I'm resilient. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Health is more than the absence of disease. And this pandemic, I mean, I, I'm a proponent of the cellulogenic model. I had been along before COVID showed up and I was a quarantine officer during SARS. I've been studying this stuff. It, you know, the way we've managed this crisis for me is just so emphasized this pathogenic model, which is what every doctor and healthcare policy person is about, which is you are well until you're not, you're okay unless you have COVID. If you have COVID you're unwell, but it's like, if we look at mental health statistics and suicide and addiction since the start of our, and the result of our mandates, it is clear that health is more than the absence of you know COVID which is what we've taught people. We've emphasized COVID means if you don't have COVID, you are therefore healthy, but that is not true. Mm -hmm. But we created these mandates and these policies just to control one tiny, tiny part of what actually health is about. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, yes. But we,
2: we need to teach people, and I'm not saying one is good or bad, and it's not an either or. Of course, we want the medical model when we're in trouble, but I say, let's invite the cellulogenic model, which means personally work in that space but live in the cellogenic model, which asks the question, what am I doing every day that causes, creates, and sustains my mental, my physical, and my spiritual health? Because mm-hmm. that's what creates me as a first responder, yes. not just my body and my physical, mm-hmm. not just eating well. You can go say, well, I'm going to yoga. You can be angry AF in a downward dog. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I've done it.
2: <laughs> and there's, again, it's nothing wrong, but we we just, tell ourselves that because I joined yoga or did a meditation yes. class, I am therefore on my way. That's totally. not how
1: it works. It's like a to-do list, right? You know, the unicorn said to write in this notebook. So that's what I'm going to do. And this person said, go to yoga, but you're never treating the root, right? Of the, right. You're always just doing because Oprah said, or because the unicorn said or whatever, right? You're just doing that but to get I, to your I, next level.
0: When I thought I was my healthiest, I was diagnosed with cancer and the doctor was like, this is stress, Lauren. You understand that everything that you, this, this is like disease from your entire, from not being able to sleep, from going through everything that you've been through. Your body is telling you there is something wrong here and you have not listened for a very long time. And he's like, I can tell you that because it's 10 centimeters tumor in your neck that you pretend to not notice and I was like yeah you're right right like and if you look at
2: the word even dis-ease, dis-ease
0: that, yeah and that's how he described it to me it's
2: all about the spiritual but there is no spiritual because people think spiritual means God religion which yeah. it isn't um, so and not. so again it goes back to education promotes regulation and so it you, you can sprinkle on yoga and sprinkle on that but again you're right root cause health is not where the pathogenic model lies, but unfortunately it's the biggest player in what determines what we do for health and the messaging around it. And it's so funny your, your podcast is named Unicorn because I identify as being a unicorn because I am so outside of most people's boxes. But to me, it all makes sense. Like of right. course. Of course I have a single horn in my head and you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yes. I, do. I, I yes. should sparkle. Don't you like, how can yes. oh, yeah. for me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: It's super interesting because like everything that we have pushed or that we've talked about with people is like the proactive side of this. Right. And like, how do we, I don't want to say make it better, but increase that awareness around there are things that you need to do to keep yourself sane in these and I just had a conversation with someone recently about like moral injury right and how like half of half of that like yes I might not physically be injured at work but I have you know post-traumatic stress injury this is an injury um, this is like moral injury, like my, my morals and my values are constantly being tested. And that's, a, that's a, a test to your, you know, physiological system and all these things, right, that it's taxing, taxing on the body. So you might mm-hmm. not feel like it's physical, but there is something coming real quickly when you're going through all of these mental, spiritual attacks, right, that you're like, Oh, though, it'll get better. Oh, I'll feel better. You know, I'll. I'll take a couple sleeping pills. Oh, I'll you know, and you tell yourself these things because you're also in a culture that it says like Sharon and I were like we talk about drinking together all the time, like just fucking numb that shit we'll talk about, we'll talk about it in 2020, right? Exactly. One day when we both feel like we can talk about it, we'll talk about it, but
1: one day we'll start a podcast, right? We'll start a
0: podcast one day. Uh, (laughs) When podcast didn't even start, but it's so interesting because we do, hindsight's 2020, right? And Mm -hmm. if you are so entrenched in a culture that allows you to believe that, you know, sleeping pills are a normal part of being a Shift worker, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I didn't know
2: to like go. On we've normalized app, that, yeah. Right? I didn't us. know
0: to like go onto YouTube and put like every night. I use a, a meditation app. It's nine hours long. It, my husband is like, oh my god, put in a headphone, something like that, because I do. I still struggle to fall asleep. I yeah, still, for this day, like, I, and I will actually fall asleep and wake up with my heart like pounding, 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 and I can't mm-hmm. get back to sleep. I don't know why. I don't, and it's mm-hmm. not like a, it's not a dream. It's not something that's like haunting me. It's just my. That's what my body does. And then I have mm-hmm. to. Then I turn on the meditation, and then I lay there for nine hours, and then I wake up, and I'm like, listen for a little bit. Uh, but I, I haven't taken a sleeping pill. I haven't drank to go to sleep because this is working for me. So why would I not? I don't want to be the shitty mom who's hung over the next morning, having to deal with my kids. I did that for years. I don't want to be that mom anymore. But I didn't know about these things until long after the sleeping pills and the alcohol and all the other things that I tried that were acceptable in the culture that I that promoted. Yeah. Yeah. That I was growing up in essentially I was 22 years old. I was growing up in this. Say that's
1: It's true though. Cause we were actually like told this is what will help you like by our our bosses. This will help you sleep. This is what yeah. I do. Just a suit so of bed how, and a glass of yeah. red wine. Sometimes <laughs> two or three. <laughs> two or three, and we're like, and that's what helps. Try neocitron. Try. Yeah. That's what you're told. You, we're never told, you know. Try listening to Oprah, or try a medit, like go to yoga. That that stuff didn't come for Lauren Nine yeah. till way later when it was yeah. like way too late, right?
2: It's getting yeah. better, but it's listen, getting better. You know, if, if, imagine if we understood that your psychology becomes your biology, that right. you know, every predominant mood gets mirrored in the biology. We understand that when we're angry, right? But that's why gratitude and self-compassion matter. I'm like, it's not about sprinkling sugar on difficulty. In fact, mindfulness is about, can you bring yourself to the difficulty and engage with it and hold space with it in a way that doesn't take you down? And so it actually invites us to be with what we don't want to look at and then gratitude and generosity and in fact gratitude sounds really all but the research on this stuff is just amazing Um, it's emerging the simple is if your mind is busy blessing out and if you understand psychology becomes biology if you're busy blessing out and looking for what remains in a call where things have been taken away in a moment that feels shitty in difficulty in a divorce. If you can reflexively, because we will go to the shit because our brains are wired for threat detection and negative bias, that's normal. That's not a personality defect. And then we go, okay, that's, my, that's how I work in my brain. I'm going to shift and look at what still remains. It's not about ignoring the shit. I just am moving my attention towards. It's me directing my brain to where I choose it to focus on so that I understand the mood and what I focus on will be mirrored in my biology. Yes. And so in a moment of tragedy and a difficult call where somebody dies, of course, if I just focus on this death, this hopelessness, this helplessness, I'm going to ruminate and replay it, which strengthens the feeling and the, all the neurochemicals that come out of my body that my liver now has to work with, that my blood pressure has to respond with. Right. But if I can be like, oh, that was horrible. And now I'm going to do what Wendy said, I'm going to just be like, I'm going to take a few breaths. I'm going to be like, but I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm glad my partner was here. I'm glad I didn't make the shitty decision that person just did. And as I walk out of a call, habituate, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not thank you for the drama, but thank you as a way of getting out of my prefrontal cortex and ruminating about the tragedy and coming back to the breath and the body where trauma and my issues, right? The issues are in our tissues. That's where it gets me headed. So imagine if we just like me just sharing that to you and you just going ah like that's what i live for now whether you take that in and get it right away i don't care i just know i always say i'm like the walmart greeter i've got a blue vest on going to everybody hey you know what this is mindfulness and resiliency and this is all the good stuff go down whatever hell you want start wherever you are i'm just going to tell you what's downy child. Off you go, whatever resonates for you. And we know about transgenerational trauma, right? Which happens culturally in these first responders to your point, Sharon, about, I heard this from my boss, like take my Mm Neocitrine, but healing and and holistic health can also be passed down. Right. Right? We just need to inform people and let the healers who like you that are going through it, you will pass down the good lessons but it takes a generation. We're going to have to be patient. The reality is I'm under no illusion. I don't know that I'll live long enough to see the, the complete tide change, but I know I've been here to start, you know, mm-hmm. getting people to the shore upstream going, hey, there's a different way that we can be training first responders. Oh, can and, I see and- my
0: tweet right now? Yes, please yes. say your tweet, and then I'll I'll share my gratitude thing with you after. Remind
2: me. Okay, so I tweeted years ago when I was writing the thesis, when Twitter was 140 characters only. It's pinned up my account. I'll g- I'll give you the count. When you teach a first responder how to manage a difficult airway, you save patients' lives. When you teach them how to manage a difficult emotion, you'll save theirs. And that was my thesis. So. That's kind love of who it. I am. And that's I love my it. person, my purpose and my passion because I don't need to do this. I could be watching Netflix all day long. But mm-hmm.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so interesting because pa- we know that passion drives, right? Like passion is the the whole reason I do stuff with first responders. It's the whole reason Sharon and I do this. It's the whole reason I love working with spouses. It's like I, I will do that probably until the day I die because it never feels like work. It is just something yes. that I love so much. Right. So The gratitude thing, um, so I've been mentored by uh, a good friend of mine, Erin Sky Kelly, and uh, she does lots of stuff with like, um, oh my god, I'm going to get the hell out of debt, and she taught me how to teach workshops, and she really was like my mentor for personal development, where I started to realize after I left corrections, like there is something wrong here, I need to like explore this a little bit further, so we did a gratitude challenge, and for 30 days, we had to do 10 things we were grateful for, just like it was like a thing on Facebook. But if you missed a day, you had to do a hundred. So if you missed a day that, so, and I missed a few days, right? So like banging out 10 is hard. The first time it was like, I'm thankful for my coffee. I'm thankful for my coffee mug. I'm thankful for coffee creamer. I'm like, it's hard. The first time you do it's like hard, right? And then then when you have to do a hundred because you missed a day, it's like, oh my God, this is hard, right? And it is hard, but I'll tell you what happened. The day I was diagnosed with cancer, it was like when I called my mom and my sister and my husband, they were like, ah, ah, ah. you know what my first thought was? I'm so grateful this isn't happening to my children. I'm so grateful that this is in my thyroid and they've made, you know, they've made it sound like this. is. I'm so, and, and then I was like, and I'm not hanging out with these people anymore. Um, yeah. But that, Like it was very much like it was a space. Like you said, it went from this like horrendous, horrific thing to like, Oh my God, I can control my, I know how I feel about this. I have control. I'm so glad this isn't happening to one of my kids. I'm so glad this isn't, you know, like it was so interesting that my mind went there and I acknowledged it. And I have never, like, I've never missed a day of gratitude since, because I know exactly what that did for me in that moment.
2: So I can tell you, you're right. Uh, gratitude can be the best sharpener of your gratitude pencil ever. So that's the gift cancer usually gives to most yes. people is that it sharpens what is important. It sharpens what you've got because now you have to focus on stuff you haven't wanted. And I know people can't see you, but, but I loved what you just did, which is what I teach in every workshop. I talk about gratitude to first responders who are like, man, I'm like, you know, a bad scene, a diagnosis of cancer is the birthplace. Yes, for PTSD. But it's also the birthplace for post-traumatic growth. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you won't have symptoms of post-traumatic stress. It doesn't mean you're not gonna feel shitty for a week or two. But if you invite space in there and you went like this, you did hand on heart, which mm-hmm. is what people will do after they get out of a car accident, right? I say to every first responder, you, your patients are your best teacher, because what do they do? They walk out and they're like, Whew, got him okay. Yeah. Is yeah. we reflexively actually bubble into gratitude in big high moments of tragedy. Reflexively, mm-hmm. which should tell us it's important. It's almost to me like a psychological like reset that saves us in a moment and all of a sudden brightens and puts into perspective what I really need to be thankful for, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's why Lots so of things
0: it. changed that day. Like I like yes. called people and said like, take me off your board. I can't sit like, I, and it was like, I am not, I'm not being protective of myself and what I value, right? Like the values yeah. that I had written on the wall. Uh, well, uh, I'm not even doing any of those. <laughs> like yeah. I'm not paying yeah. attention to my health. I'm not spending time with my family because I'm so busy Trying to please other people, and when they ask me, I have no ability to say no. So I had no shitty boundaries, like all you know, all yeah. the things. Um, but yeah, it was a very. And the
2: dividend is in the detail. So your gratitude practice—I'll just say the research actually doesn't support like writing out a list every day as the best way to benefit. The research says like write t- one thing even and three reasons why. So yeah. get yeah. detailed about why, and then try to feel it in your body. But the best benefit from gratitude is being the recipient of it, which means we need to start giving receipts. So you go to the cashier, you buy your, your rose beef, they give you a receipt. We need to be doing that. So if somebody does something nice to you, offer them a receipt, right? Oh my God. Thank you for that. Your kids. Thank you for picking up the garbage. Thank you for being there, whatever, because it's the receipt of gratitude that actually has big biochemistry changes in our our well-being, And so even you watching a really good movie or a show, or if you can watch somebody else and go, and then just remember that even one minute of that, a couple of times a week has lasting impact. And so change up your gratitude practice because our brains seek novelty. So they don't like the same shit. And first responders are need Mm -hmm. that adrenaline and they like to have things change up. And so change up your practice, have a hundred ways to offer gratitude. Call somebody once a week, email, journal it,
0: mix it up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just, I'm
0: reading gifts of imperfection by Brené Brown and she was just talking about it <laughs> and the
2: spirituality
0: side of things. I do love it. I love like. Re-learning. Oh, no, I, ha-
2: I had a breakdown after I read her book years oh, ago. I know. Oh, my God. The chapter three that I think is on uh, per, in, like the, the perfectionist. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that's I'm,
0: me. That's- I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's me. But
0: not not my car. I, I was uh, I was actually talking to a psychologist and she had said, do you think you're a perfectionist? And I'm like, no, you should see how dirty my car is. And she goes, that's exactly what a perfectionist would say. Is I'm good I'm everywhere dead. except my car is a fucking mess. So no, I'm for sure. And she said you will leave it like that to remind yourself that you're never good enough.
2: Yeah, because there's always something oh, that's wow. shitty
0: for you. And I'm just like shit. Yes, we have and this I-
2: habituated <laughs> negative mind trap that exaggerates the negative and discounts yes, the positive.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, crazy. Huge. Hopefully. That's so. That's so huge. It's. I'm so happy like to have you here for our listeners because it's massive. Because Lauren and I we talk about gratitude and. um For me, like the same thing, like leaving a a horrible relationship, right? And it was like, I was really at an age and I just had had my daughter, but I was really into being, I said to myself, I'm going to be selfish and take this time for myself. But it was like, I didn't have to say I'm being selfish. I just, I deserve time to myself so it was meditation and gratitude and walks which is a part of my life now not so much the walks but now it's like crystals and all of this Mm. other stuff and it's like uh instead of saying that that's selfish that should just be a part of your yeah you see what I mean like it should just be a part of your life and your morning and you're worth it and the self the compassion for self that's huge like mm-hmm. I'm like right now trying to teach my my daughter that to have compassion mm-hmm. for yourself um she's such an empath right she takes everybody's stuff in and I'm like what about you at the end of the day you have to remember yourself too so this is just a, such good lessons and I just want everyone to know Normally, I take about three pages of notes. I probably have eight pages. I was really trying to keep up here. <laughs> Sharon, so <was>. you... <laughs> I could tell, frantic. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that's not my job. Sharon, I have to write. I my have head's to write been that. down. I don't <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>. so then, <laughs> then we have to take the snippets but yeah my hand hurts and I'm like going like that's why you haven't heard from me a lot because
2: can we do a season together like, <laughs> yes, let's a podcast, do a, season. Let yes. let's, let's do a wealthy like we new year yes.
1: the tip of the iceberg I know seriously I'll, seriously, I'll, I, I'll, I
2: think podcasts should have series more often when you get yes. somebody you want to talk to because well it's we for sure me. want to do
1: that Wendy we are we want to we're we're into it because this is like right up our alley, first of all. And Lauren has only asked you one question during this whole podcast, <laughs> which was, "What's that your background?" Word, background. <laughs> and here we are. We're at we 40- <laughs> We're at forty-three minutes and eight pages of notes. So I'm pretty sure to- I
2: warned you, though. The trick is yeah, not you getting did, me to, talk yeah, you and me to Shut that. up.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh
0: god. Okay. Well, I'll ask you another question. What's something that you want to leave us with? Because we will cut it off, but we will for sure have you on again soon, soon, Be
2: Be gentle and kind. If you're listening and you're inspired, which is great. um, It's not a race. Like I remember thinking, I'm going to do this master's and I'm never going to have another bad day. That's not true. You're going to be human. You're still going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. Shit's going to hit the fan. It's just another tool in your toolbox. So be gentle and kind to yourself. And if you can't do that, get the help you need, Be, you know, if, you, if you're in crisis, I always say, if you're in distress, then reassess an educational program, get the help so that you can decrease the inflammation just like you would with a broken leg, get the inflammation under handle, and then you can do physio. That's similar with the mind. If it's really in crisis, get a grip, however that looks for you, and then do the training and the education and the practices. Um, no different for mind and spirit. Um, and then find the resources. I'll leave you some stuff. There's a twenty five hour completely free no upsell, nothing on my website. You can dip into that family, friends of loved uh, first responders. But honestly, anybody who's listening to this, just go take what you need. I don't mean take it from a business perspective, I'll see you. but um, you know what I mean? Just yeah, go right. dabble. There's lots of books and interviews and podcast stuff there for you to get your teeth wet. And whatever you resonate with, start there. Don't like, I'm not prescriptive in what I teach. I have an, a, a way from a curriculum, but I don't care where you start, start somewhere. And if that's 20 seconds in the morning, and if you keep saying to yourself, I'm too busy, I'm just telling you, thoughts are not facts. You lie to yourself most of the day, every day. You're not even that original. And our minds repeat about 85% of the same thoughts over and over again. So, you've got to break it in, which is not easy. If you've ever tried to do any new habit, it's not easy. Why? Because we're habituated in our brain. So you got to learn how the brain works and then biohack it. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, there's that quote. It's like, if you don't have 10 minutes for yourself, you don't have a life. Right? Like that Mm -hmm. is 10 minutes is in, in a day is really nothing.
2: But right? you need to just even examine that. Like just ask yeah. it's that, if you've got if you've got a social media account, I know you're lying oh. when you say you don't have 10 minutes.
0: And the le- and the newest, so the newest statistic that just came out, I, I follow Brendan Burchard and he just talked about this. And it's it's American, but I feel like probably North American. Uh, the average the average American uh, spends three hours a day on social media and three hours a day on the tv so he said it used to just be the tv and then we and then I was just listening to him talk the other day and he said like okay so if you took one hour of that uh, every single day so you can still have two hours on social media but let's take one and at the end of the day at the end of the month you've spent 28 hours doing you know working towards your health working towards that side hustle you can't do working to right like yeah. and just getting laser focused and we we know like we're we're distracted and whatever like business used to be they you have to touch someone eight times now it's 32 because there's but don't no... but don't
2: take that personally I think what right. you know corporations and social the technology is re actually rewiring our brain and then making us feel like it's our fault right. for not doing better which right. it's not you have to know that you're literally being it's like we've got heroin in our hands right exactly. social media is the new hypodermic needle literally And so, when you recognize that, and then you got to pull away like any addiction, it's tough, Uh, but it's not your fault. Much of it is not even your fault. And then we have this, anyway, we got to talk more. We need need (laughs) (laughs) to.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Like, yeah, we will definitely be back. We will talk more because I think this is so important. I love the proactive approach to everything Mm -hmm. that you do. And getting those seeds planted for uh, all first responders and, and, um, creating, uh, the conversation around this to get people started just thinking about it. Right. And, yeah. and learning and education and doing better, right. For the people that we are and for the people that we serve and the organizations that we, um, come from. So thank you again. Thank we you. Really so
1: appreciate <laughs>
0: Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Speaker, all of those. Also, feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out. And we always love a review. Also, feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy.
1: We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day, love, Lauren, and Sharon.